disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, fun conversation today. Uh, Congressman Andy Barr was just recently reelected for another term in Central Kentucky's 6th District. Um, has been diving into some studies and some data on COVID. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about China's handling of COVID and why we should be a little more angry about it. And we're also going to talk about a disturbing trend um, from the left to bully companies that provide financial services um, into not providing those services to companies the left doesn't like. It's a terrifying thing. We're going to dive into that and also free speech on uh, as it pertains to Twitter, Facebook, and other big social media outlets. So this is going to be a fun conversation. Uh, so uh, buckle up because it's going to be interesting. First, though, I want to thank uh, the folks who make this program possible. It's been a labor of love for a long time, but there are costs associated with it. I have built a awesome studio, which I'm going to show you uh, in some uh, f- some social media pics pretty soon. Uh, but there's costs involved in keeping up this program, and so I really appreciate Louisville Cabinets and Countertops for being a part of helping us provide that and continue to do this work. Um, they are awesome. If you're looking for a turnkey kitchen remodel experience, give them a call. It's nine. It's a 502-930-3304. They did our kitchen, and I'm confident the work they did on our kitchen is what made our house sell within a day. I really am. I'm confident it was a huge thing that made it show so much better. Um, or if you're a contractor or a do-it-yourselfer, they've got quality, uh, affordable cabinets in store. You can call and talk to their designers. George, Michelle, Kelly, they're all happy to talk to you. They're at 6200 Hit Lane. Just stop by Just stop by the showroom and see some examples of their work and talk to those designers. And again, 502-930-3304. Thanks to Louisville Cabinets and Countertops for their sponsorship of this program. All right, let's dive into this conversation with Congressman Andy Barr. Um, On the disruption zone, we are happy to welcome back Congressman Andy Barr. He is from the Central Kentucky area, 6th District of Kentucky. Known him for a long time. He's a good dude. And uh, you won re-election pretty handily in a purple district this time. Yeah, Leland, uh, thanks for having me, by the way. Great to talk to you again. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your listeners. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and it, it, it just kind of underscores uh, what happened in the House of Representatives. Obviously, the uh, presidential race is uh, not looking great. It's still uh, technically unresolved. But um, uh, the good news is that conservatives and Republicans made huge gains in the House of Representatives. We, uh, at the end of the day, we, we won't take back the majority, but we'll be in a striking distance for 2022 and so important to replace uh, Nancy Pelosi with a conservative uh, and and with, uh, you know, a majority that, uh, if it is a Biden-Harris administration, can hold hold the line and, and hold um, the new administration accountable. I'm hoping that those two Senate seats stay in Republican hands in Georgia um, because I, as a libertarian-leaning conservative, like the idea of a little bit of divided government for a while. Um especially with some of the agenda items that that uh, Biden has that I think are absolutely anti-freedom, specifically circling around the Second Amendment. And he needs to be held in check on the on the COVID thing, too. 
No doubt about it. And uh, it's a whole range of policy positions that the Biden-Harris uh, a team would represent that would be hostile to freedom and free enterprise. It really is a threat uh, to our way of life. And uh, the choice uh, in this election was uh, a choice between freedom and socialism in many respects. And uh, I don't think the American people in any way, uh, even if Biden turns out to be the certified winner, uh, I don't think the American people um, uh, in any way endorse socialism especially with the gains that uh, we made as Republicans in the U.S. House. Uh, you know, when all the pundits and the prognosticators and the pollsters uh, said just days before the election that Nancy Pelosi would pick up up to 20 additional Democrat seats, how wrong they were. Right. And I think it's, I think it's a, a statement that um, the American people do not want uh, to, to move on the, towards the path of socialism. I would agree. Um... I think this race in the election, and I think it proves it in terms of how things turned out, that most people were choosing a personality as opposed to a policy. Um, and I think the policy side of the decision was made on those down-ballot races. The personality decision, not that Joe Biden is some kind of, I mean, you know, I chose a personality too and it wasn't Biden. But, but I mean, you know, I think there was so much angst really fomented by a lot of false stuff in the media over the last four years that there was there was an there was really a lot of people that weren't really looking at the things in their life that were better as a result of the policies that have taken place over the last four years um and and so it, it really i think that's why it was so razor's edge close um because there was there was like this decision that people were trying to make about a guy that i think probably a lot of people Maybe didn't like personally, but appreciated what his policies had done for the economy, had done for their lives, had had done in a, a lot of ways, from criminal justice reform to, um, you know, to economic reform, and and yet that's what we got. So kind of went down, but it kind of reminded me a little bit of the last Kentucky governor's race, where, you know, on one hand there was a decision about personalities, and on the other hand there was a decision about policy, where Kentucky voters overwhelmingly gave conservatives the levers of power outside of the governor's office and we saw that again on a statewide level in this election too further down ballot it was an absolute clubbing of the democrats in the state legislature for kentucky yeah no doubt about it and um with the gains the republican gains in the house and the fact that uh with georgia wins in the georgia special elections republicans will uh, maintain control of the senate i think it again, goes to show that the American people were very satisfied uh, with the uh, economic policy results of the last four years. In fact, if it wasn't for the tax cuts, the historic tax cuts, middle-class tax cuts, business tax cuts, if it wasn't for the deregulation, if it wasn't for the shift away from big government socialism uh, and rebalancing trade and uh, delivering on United States energy dominance, if it wasn't for those important free market, free enterprise policy shifts, shifts away from the policies of Joe Biden over the last four years, we would have been in a world of hurt with the uh, economic shutdowns that many governors and local uh, governments imposed on the American people. Fortunately, because we went into this pandemic and the lockdowns with a strong and resilient economy, because our financial sector was well capitalized, because many businesses had rainy day funds, because they were cash heavy, because they had a lighter tax and regulatory burden, 
uh, many businesses have been able to survive through this pandemic and and keep those uh, workers on the payroll. Let me ask you this, and you know, I I can I'm going to go back and provide a little context here. I remember the Democrats' initial reaction to President Trump's handling of COVID was that he was overreacting. Shortly after that, they completely flipped, and the media was with them on both counts. The media was with them in promoting their their feeling that President Trump was overreacting by banning travel from China, and then everything flipped, and the Democrats and media in lockstep went towards this idea of shutdowns, and they have maintained that from for the last eight months. Uh, we have not gone back to normal, even in the summer when things opened up a little bit. We never went back to normal, and I just have this kind of sneaky suspicion that somewhere around January 21st or so we're going to start to see the focus on the virus shift and we're going to start seeing media talking heads say you know the only way through this is through it and you know we have to develop herd immunity and everybody's going to have to get it and by the way it's a 99.5 percent survival rate and we just need to protect the elderly and everybody else needs to go back to business i have this sneaky suspicion you're going to see the economy open up again after the inauguration because that will give the Democrats two years to um, take credit for a bounce back in the economy. And I, and I think right now you're seeing, you know, even Governor Andy Bashir with his draconian restrictions on Kentucky businesses is still not saying the word shutdown. So it's almost like they're throttling the economy. They're not shutting it down. I mean, look at Kentucky, for instance. You can go bet on the historical racing gaming machines, but you can't send your kid to school and you can't get together with your family for Thanksgiving. Everybody knows this is BS. Am I wrong in in plotting out what I think the Democrats are up to right here? No, and let's let's go back um, uh, six to eight months uh, uh, in the in the past. I mean, I I think when you look at everything in retrospect, despite all of the criticism from the media and the pundits and and from the left, uh, frankly, uh, the Trump administration um, confronted the pandemic quite well. Uh, number one. Uh, by confronting China. This this is not a virus of Donald Trump's making. This is a virus that came out of the Chinese Communist Party, their cover-up, their mishandling, their disinformation campaign, their corruption of the World Health Organization, uh, the fact that they weaponized the supply chain against us. And it's a wake-up call to the United States that China is not just an adversary, but an enemy of the United States of America. I, I worry that an incoming Biden administration will not uh, deal with China in the same uh, strong and and uh, a meaningful way that the Trump administration did. Number two, uh, the fact is uh, the president and his team did quite well in harnessing the power of federalism against this virus. Uh, yes, issuing nationwide guidelines to slow the spread, first 15 days, then 30 days, uh, but ultimately then recognizing that this pandemic, the virus, was, de- was, was um, uh, on a different path in different parts of the country based on uh, concentration of population, the the way in which the virus was spreading and other factors. And so I think it was very smart to say we're going to harness the power of federalism, allow local and state governments to be ultimately in charge of uh, how uh, how uh, those um, local governments were going to handle it uh, so as not to impose a nationwide uniform lockdown on the U.S. economy. I think that helped um, mitigate some of the negative impacts of these economic shutdowns. And then Operation Warp Speed, we're literally within months of uh, 300 million doses of a safe and effective vaccine. That would not have happened 
if we had had a Biden administration in charge, a Biden FDA, believe me, <clears throat> would have shut down uh, all emergency use authorizations for the therapeutics, for the vaccines, for the diagnostics that we saw deployed uh, in these days. We don't need a heavy-handed big government approach at this time. We needed the leadership of President Trump to unleash the private sector. And that's why with Operation Warp Speed, you're seeing this uh, historic public-private partnership uh, which is now giving us um, the precipice of a safe and effective vaccine and hundreds of millions of doses of it, whereas something like this normally would take a decade mm -hmm. to deliver in terms of a vaccine from a novel virus. Remember, this is called a novel virus for a reason. It's brand new. And so to think that we would have uh, hundreds of millions of doses of multiple different approved vaccines within a year's time will go down, in my opinion, as one of uh, the, the, the greatest biomedical uh, research achievements in human history. Do we trust uh, it, but, though? But bottom line, bo bottom line is, is these lockdowns, uniform lockdowns, uh, are not necessary. Right, right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. Uh, and I want to come back to that. But do we trust the, this vaccine? I mean, a year? I mean, it does, yes, it does yes. seem awfully fast. Yes, we can. And I'll tell you why. Okay. We, we can. I, I have confidence in it. I've uh, been briefed by Secretary Azar. Uh, I have a lot of confidence in it. <clears throat> I, I do not have confidence in bureaucrats at the FDA who, <laughs> who, uh, who impose uh, mountains of bureaucracy on uh, many of these vaccine companies. But because of the leadership of uh, President Trump, Vice President Pence, uh, the coronavirus uh, task force, because of the, the red tape cutting efforts, uh, I, I think we're going to have a, a, a major breakthrough. And the reason why I believe it's not only going to be effective but safe is because they're not cutting any corners. Uh, the Congress, in a bipartisan way through the CARES Act, deployed billions of dollars to work with these pharmaceutical companies, not to cut corners, but to, <clears throat> to allow the process to go forward um, instead of uh, sequentially, concurrently. So in other words... Um, the, the the phase three uh, trials are going on right now. And by the way, these are the gold standard of FDA-approved clinical trials. They're not cutting corners. You're talking about 60,000 um, uh, individuals in placebo-controlled tested uh, clinical trials right now. They're getting good results with little side effects in many different companies. There's competition among the private sector, Moderna, Pfizer, Janssen Pharmaceutica, other uh, other companies are competing for uh, uh, the uh, right to bring to market these uh, phase three clinical trial uh, approved vaccines, but they're not cutting corners. They're just doing the, the, the steps um, concurrently as opposed to sequentially. And that means they're mass producing vaccines. And if a vaccine doesn't get approved and doesn't get an emergency use authorization, um, those get disposed of and, and not used. The companies can afford to do that because it's a partnership with the taxpayers. And we did that for a reason. We wanted to expedite. Once we got a vaccine approved, we wanted hundreds of millions of doses available for healthcare workers and uh, the most vulnerable uh, populations. Well, I mean, that's, that's pretty convincing. I'm, I'm not a vaccine guy myself. I'm not an anti-vax guy. Um, I think if you have something that uh, has been trialed and safe and people feel comfortable taking it and that's going to help us get the economy open, then I am, I am on board. Um, I want to jump back to what you were saying about the 
lockdowns being unnecessary, and they really are. I I I I don't mean to harp on this, but the fact that you can go and bet at Kentucky's casinos, which is what they are, and I fully support them, but that's what off track historical racing is. They're slot machines, whatever. I fully support them, and I support them being open right now. But the fact that they're open while the governor is telling families they can't get together at Memals, which is you're Kentucky, you know, you know that's Kentucky. That's that's our culture, man. Getting together at Memals at Thanksgiving to tell us we can't get together, to tell our kids they can't go to school, but we can still have the playoffs for football. Um, you know, this is asinine and i think everybody knows it these politicians that somehow think that restaurants are going to be able to survive on 10 or 25 percent capacity or um just with takeout that somehow that's going to pay the overhead it's it's the most unbelievable ignorance i think i've ever seen and i think what bothers me about this is i'm not saying the virus isn't dangerous it is but what i am saying is that the damage that's being done from the reaction to it is it's it's almost as if somebody comes in and they say I got shot in the leg and we go well we're going to have to amputate the head that doesn't make any sense no it doesn't make any sense and and you're right to say that this is a nasty bug it's a serious disease and the chinese communist party's malign conduct uh, is is something that that needs to be investigated fully further than we already have from the China task force in the Congress, and we need to hold the Chinese Communist Party accountable for this plague that they uh, that they uh, that they hoisted upon the world. Having said that, I think you're, you make a very good point. I think the American people are frustrated with the inconsistent application of these lockdowns from overzealous politicians who are more interested in the public relations game than following the actual data and the science. And the second point I would make is that we have learned a lot in the last eight months about this virus and how it behaves. And if you actually listen to the CDC and the top epidemiologists in the country, then you would not be, uh, you would not be supporting some of these politicians who are imposing these very extreme and draconian lockdown policies because we know that the virus doesn't affect everybody in the same way or every region in the same way. And we certainly know uh, now uh, much better how to treat it. For example, when the first uh, cases were were coming into the hospitals back in March, uh, the mortality rate for individuals 70 or above were pretty alarming and scary. Uh, The mortality rate was around 30%. Uh, when the first cases uh, uh, went into the ICU back in March. Today, uh, the the mortality rate for people over the age of 70 is way down to below 5%. The reason is that uh, our epidemiologists and our pharmaceutical and biotechnology uh, sectors have really come together. They've learned a lot. Now they know how to treat the disease, even in elderly people, a lot better. The other thing is um, if if you evaluate uh, the, the, what's going on in the schools, the fact that uh, many school districts and governors and mayors are shutting down schools, uh, they're doing so uh, without following the actual science and the data. The, yeah. the American Academy of Pediatrics um, back in August was telling us that um, in-person, in-person learning was critical and that there was no justification for shutting down schools in a in a widespread manner. And then today what we know is that, uh, as you said, the, the harm that's being done to ch- children from being out of school 
is far worse than um, the risk of the virus, um, especially for marginalized kids. Right. You know, they are less likely to return to school. There's no immunizations. There's no school meals. Mental health and psychosocial support are disrupted. Uh, we know that there's more a child uh, sex, uh, sex exploitation when they're at home. Um, there's even greater harm for, for um, uh, minority children and refugee children and children living with disabilities. Uh, they are particularly vulnerable. Um, and we know from studies that um, children that are, especially children younger than 10 years old, are far less susceptible and less infectious than older ones. Um, and, they're, and, and, and the CDC tells us that schools are, are very unlikely to be the main drivers of COVID-19 uh, transmission. Most of the cases that kids get are from not in school, uh, where they're, they're masked, they're put in cohorts, they're socially distanced. Uh, and where other kids don't easily transmit it to them, but it's usually at home. It's usually out in the society. Community spread doesn't happen in the schools very, very much. Right. Um, so, so the data is in, and we know that the closure of schools is is a is an overreaction, and it's it's not necessarily. We need to we need to follow the data. In terms of businesses, uh, here here's where we also know that masking, hand hygiene, social distancing. Mitigation um, uh, procedures can can uh, allow businesses to stay open, and as you point out, the societal damage of shutting down elective procedures in hospitals, of shutting down our economy, uh, exceeds um, the damage that's done as a result of the virus. And I'm not diminishing, just like you, Leland, I'm not diminishing the potency or uh, the negative impact that the virus has. Um, you know, you know, when, when over 250 million Americans have lost their lives because of it, it's a serious, it's a serious deal. But what you, we you do know, 250,000, <laughs> I'm sorry, 250,000, I apologize. Yeah, 250,000, a, qu- a quarter of a million people, uh, not 250 million, but a quarter of a million people, still right. a lot of people. And I guess my, my point, my point is this, is that, um, it's, it, we know that uh, younger people, especially people under the age of 60, handle this very, very well. And with a mask, uh, there's, there's no need to shut down in wholesale restaurants and bars and everything else. Obviously, if you're a senior citizen, if you're immunocompromised, you should probably stay away. But everybody else should mask and, and, and keep these businesses open and operating. I totally agree. I, uh, Jason... Nemus, the uh, representative from over in Oldham County, um, he actually has been requesting specific data from the state on what decisions, like how they're basing their decisions. He got a hold of some data in which they they found that nationwide, the rate of COVID catching in health and fitness clubs, gyms, is point zero 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 two percent um you know it's it's data like that when it comes to light and you go why are you doing what you're doing that makes you scratch your head Oregon's governor is asking people to call police on their neighbors if they have too many people over for Thanksgiving I I wrote on Facebook this morning I said when the history books look back on America they're going to say they got they claimed their freedom because the government taxed tea too much they lost their freedom because they were scared of a virus that has a 99.5% survival rate. And again, I'm not trying to minimize it. it. It's real. It's happening. But there's really 
there's there's there, again we're, it's just going back to all that stuff that you said about schools and about I think about special needs children who don't have that one on one interaction that they would normally have. I think about the developmental age. You've got two daughters. How old are they? Uh, nine and seven. Okay, nine and seven. Think about young preteens. Think about teenagers being separated away from that social interaction for a year. And losing that development that happens over the course of that time from our interaction, I think the the damage that's being done here is in a lot of ways irrevocable, and and I think it's going to be lasting. Yeah, and you know when we talk about countering China and holding China accountable for this virus, we, we shouldn't do so by becoming more like China. Uh, you yeah, know, some have praised China as that is a great point, <laughs> Congressman Barr. Yeah, I mean, you know, some have said, well, look at, look at how, quote-unquote, effective China has been at controlling the virus versus us. Well, we don't know that because it's a communist country and they don't, they're not forthcoming with actually all of their data. Uh, they, they lie all the time. Their, their, their whole um, MO is, is deception. But, but even if they have been more effective than we have, that's because they live in a totalitarian society. Right. And we, we, we live in, in a free country, at least we used to. And we need to protect and preserve that. Yeah. And um, you know, uh, the, the bottom the bottom line is we can defeat this virus through free enterprise and unleashing the private sector's innovation. And that's what's happening with Operation Warp Speed. We're we're going to lead the world in delivering uh, the vaccine to uh, defeat the virus, but we don't need to uh, become more like a socialist country. And I'll make this final point. I, I met with the president with a small group of members of Congress back in, in April. And I said to President Trump, you know, I said, no sane American likes these lockdowns. And, and I know this is what your public health officials told you that you had to pr- provide some guidance to do. But no sane American likes being locked up in their basement. And no sane American likes having to uh, take off work and, and be paid to not work. I said, but this is exactly what the Democrats want. This is what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want. This is the Green New Deal. Yeah. Th- this is this is Medicare for all. This is their agenda. Universal basic is an agenda income. that dis- that discourages yeah. work, that grows government and deprives Americans of their freedom and opportunity to pursue their own uh, their own prosperity for themselves and their families. Yeah. This this lockdown mentality that Democrat governors are are promoting is exactly their vision for America permanently. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. And by the way, thank you for keeping the focus on China too, because it's stunning to me that there isn't more anger at China. It's 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 almost weird how most of our leaders don't want to talk about that aspect of it um i know we're running low on time here and you've got a lot to get to but uh, i wanted to talk about one other thing that you tweeted actually just a couple days ago um and it has to do with politicizing access to capital uh specifically you mentioned the green new deal coal companies in kentucky um it's also other areas of the economy like um firearms firearms businesses are having their accounts closed by banks a lot of this is due to pressure put on by the left these big corporations some of it was leftovers from operation chokehold under obama but some of it right now is happening because the left is organizing what i think is a minority of people 
in terms of thinking in America, but they're very effective, and corporations are very terrified of sort of the, the Twitter mob. And so they have been able to effectively attack conservatives and attack free enterprise and attack businesses that they simply don't like by pressuring banks and other uh, financial companies to not give money to companies they disapprove of. That, that to me, is a terrifying thing. It is, and it is um, from the Obama administration, and believe me, they're coming back in a Biden administration, Operation Choke Point, where the financial regulators, the OCC, the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, uh, and others, uh, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, would basically bully lenders, financial institutions, uh, so that they, they would not be willing to freely offer uh, loans or credit to uh, politically incorrect businesses, payday lenders, uh, firearms manufacturers, ammunition manufacturers and dealers, um, uh, you know, fossil energy companies, anything that doesn't fit within the, uh, the liberal left-wing socialist Green New Deal model of thinking, um, they believe that regulators should harass them so that they can't access business. And by the way, these businesses, whether they're politically incorrect or not in the minds of the left, they're lawfully operating businesses, Americans operating under lawful uh, purposes and lawful means. And the, the, this is, this is uh, another way that the left is trying to get at advancing their radical agenda. And it's very, very dangerous when we politicize the allocation of capital. Uh, that's definitely uh, what they're trying to do. The other thing I'm concerned about and monitoring is the way in which, as you say, the Twitter mob and, and the left, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren and others like her, are bullying the executives of major U.S. corporations uh, to engage in what they call ESG, or environmental social governance. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're basically telling America's business leaders that you have a social responsibility to advocate political or partisan causes as opposed to the core business of their corporation. Right. And this is a very dangerous idea. It is pure and unadulterated socialism, and it's a way in which um, the left can corrupt our free enterprise system to politicize uh, the corporate leaders of our country uh, in a way that would be extremely damaging to maximizing shareholder wealth and deterring uh, capital from flowing into companies. Because, look, let's face it, if a, if a CEO is more interested in placating the far left in their, in their radical environmentalist agenda than actually uh, making a profit for the shareholders, um, that is going to frustrate uh, shareholders to the point where they will withdraw their capital. They're going to uh, it's it's an incredible misallocation of resources in our country when uh, when CEOs and executives and, and and corporate boards are so afraid of the left that they're not uh, actually attending to the business of their company. Right. Do you think also? I mean, there's a, there's you would kind of lifted the lid a little bit on another issue, and that is the First Amendment in regards to social media. You have the left, which is allowed to bully uh, unrelentingly. On social media, you have the right that gets shut down for the slightest thing that that is considered egregious. You have Twitter shutting down stories like the story about Hunter Biden, which 
you know, 10, 15 years ago, it, you know, even the left wing media would have covered a story like that. It would have been, uh, it would have been considered unfair to, to, to hide that story. And these, these people were openly, dis, openly spiking stories from one of the oldest newspapers in America that was founded by Alexander Hamilton, for goodness sakes. And, so it, I don't know what can be done there because I, I, I value the First Amendment above all else other than the Second Amendment and because I think the Second Amendment protects it. But what's happening here is sort of a de facto fascism that's taking place. The left is using social media to organize that. And, you know, I, the, the answer is always you get stiff armed when you bring it up and they say, well, it's a private company. You're a conservative. You believe in private company. And I'm like, well, this is a little different because the amount of information discussion, you know, you know the amount of, of what flows across social media is so huge that to say that those companies don't have a responsibility since what they're offering is a public forum to uphold the First Amendment. I mean, if, if AT&T was canceling your calls because they didn't like what you were telling your mom, you know, I, that everybody would be beside themselves. And yet we have this happening. So it's almost like this is the other side of what you're talking about. Like on one side, you have the left using these platforms to bully corporations into doing things or saying things or believing things or whatever. And on the other hand, you have no way to counter that, right? There's no way to show those businesses that you support them because you'll get shut down. Well, you're right. And we are, Congress is going to be looking and taking some uh, searching oversight over uh, big tech, Facebook, Twitter, and, and these other platforms because there is a monopoly. Uh, competition is the best cure for this. We, we need competition to hold many of these uh, platforms accountable. But let's face it, uh, Facebook and Twitter have quite a monopoly. I know there's some efforts to bring in competition into that space, but it is very disappointing that they have used their monopolistic power uh, to censor certain speech, to engage in viewpoint discrimination, mainly against conservatives. Um, it's very disappointing that when uh, Mark Zuckerberg was in front of my committee, although he was saying the right things at the time in a speech at Georgetown University, um, and he said the right things in front of our committee, he, he turned right around and, and, and put his speech police uh, and censored uh, or provided, quote-unquote, uh, political commentary that they, in the name of context, uh, on their on any um, conservative or, uh, uh, for example, President Trump's uh, um, uh, posts, and, uh, and and Twitter did the same thing, and, and maybe in a more egregious way. I don't think there needs to be the speech police. I don't need, think that twi Twitter and Facebook need to pick winners and losers. Let the marketplace of ideas work. Um, that's the that's the you know look at look at what John Stuart Mill said in On Liberty. You know, a robust public discussion is what you need, um, and the and the, the the correct and truthful ideas will rise to the top. Let let the falsehoods get out there, and let yep. let people contest those ideas in, in the marketplace of ideas. Yeah, I want to know who's crazy. I don't I don't necessarily agree with them. I just want to know who they are because when you drive crazy underground, you know what it does? It gets crazier and it gets violent. That's right. That's ex that's exactly right. And I, I'll say one other thing about this so-called stakeholder capitalism. I think this is this is even more dangerous than these overt uh, legislative initiatives like the Green New Deal or Medicare for All, um, socialized medicine. Because 
Uh, those are in plain sight. Right. Uh, those are social socialist proposals in plain sight, where everybody knows what they are, and we can we can defeat those in the in the marketplace of ideas in the public square. The, the real danger with stakeholder capitalism, where so-called stakeholders take primacy over shareholders, mm. is that's the back door to yeah. socialism, yeah. and that and that's what's so nefarious about about what. Um, um, Elizabeth Warren and Nancy Pelosi and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders. That's what's so dangerous about what they're proposing. We need to hold corporate executives accountable to do their job, which is to say fulfill their fiduciary obligation to run successful businesses, to be profitable and to maximize shareholder value. That's their job, to be accountable to their owners not accountable to Elizabeth Warren and socialists on the far political left. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm glad you kind of dove into that a little bit today, too, because I, I think it is scary. And, um, you know, you got to watch it when the left starts changing language. That's that's how they get to where – that's how they've gotten to where they are today is they change language. They ban language, and then they change language. And to say stakeholder capitalism, it's so unobtrusive. It's so unscary. You know, it, sound, it sounds like, oh, I – you didn't say shareholder. You said stakeholder, right? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, wait a minute. It's different, but it kind of sounds the same. You know what I mean? So it's like uh, it's, we could get into a long conversation about that. But. And they're enabled by big tech. They're yeah. enabled by Facebook and Twitter and, and so uh, it's and the media. Yeah. They have a monopoly on the media and big tech. And, and uh, so we've got our work cut out of us, those of us who believe in freedom. And it goes back to what Ronald Reagan said. Freedom is not passed along to us in the bloodstream. We have to fight for it. That's right. Every generation, we have to fight for it. And we're in the fight for the heart and soul of our country. Uh, this election is not the end of it. If you're despondent because of the outcome of the presidential election, do not be. We have to stay in the fight. Uh, we will prevail. We can prevail. Uh, but those of us who love freedom, who believe in this country and the Constitution, we have to continue to fight for the future of our country and our right. and our kids and our grandkids. Yeah, yeah, very much. Uh, appreciate the time today, Congressman Barr. Um, glad we got you in uh, office for another couple years. And um, happy Thanksgiving to you and your girls. And we appreciate you very much. Thank you, Leland. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your listeners as well. Awesome. Have a great day. Appreciate it. Take care. Well, we covered a lot of ground there with Congressman Andy Barr. Appreciate him jumping on the podcast with us. Uh, big special thanks to our sponsor, uh, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. We truly appreciate them and their support of this program. And if you are looking to remodel your kitchen, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, if you're a contractor and you need affordable, high-quality cabinets right away, they've got some in stock. If you are a person who is looking to completely refab your entire kitchen, you want it done from the ground up, maybe you want a wall torn out, maybe whatever, and you want a turnkey kitchen remodel experience, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops is your place. I We used them. My wife and I used them twice. They did our kitchen, and they did our master bath, and we were extraordinarily pleased both times that we used them. And I only talk about businesses, and I only want the support of businesses that I truly believe in, and that is Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. And uh, just give them a call and talk to their designers. Uh, If you're thinking about doing this and making the leap, Kelly, Michelle, uh, George, they'll be happy to take care of you or stop by the showroom at 6200 Hit Lane right on the border of Louisville and Oldham County. If you're in southern Indiana or in Oldham County or in Louisville, this is your place. So give them a call. At 502-930-3304, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. 
Big thanks to my co-executive producer, Cameron Mills, and also Dynamics Productions in Lexington, Kentucky. And a big thanks to you for the thousands of downloads we're getting every week. Uh, thanks to our new partner, WGTK 970, The Answer, who is airing the podcast on Saturdays and Sundays, as well as commentaries from me throughout the day, uh, Monday through Friday. And uh, we just appreciate you, the listener, for supporting this program. It's a free download. Share it with your friends. It'll spread the voice. It'll spread the word. Uh, you can go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or iHeartRadio's app in order to download it, and it'll send new episodes directly to your phone. So as always, you can carry me around in your pocket. All right, thanks for listening so much. I appreciate you. You can follow us on Instagram at the disruption or at um yeah at the disruption zone and at great lelando uh you can follow us on twitter it's at zone disruption and at leland Con- uh, leland show thanks again for your time i'm leland conway the disruption zone <laughs>